Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ron Corey on the line. Ron, how are you? Hi, Michael. Good morning. It's good to see you. Great to see you. So you've done a ton of things in your life. So share a little bit about your background, and then we're going to jump into your new book. Sure. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and at the age of 19, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. That got me out of the East Coast. I ended up doing boot camp in San Diego, California, and it was during the Vietnam era and all Marines were destined for Vietnam. So that's what we were being trained for. Timing is everything in life. And as we were about to graduate boot camp and orders were already cut to send our entire battalion to Vietnam after infantry training, uh, advanced training, President Nixon announced de-escalation. No one else would go to Vietnam and so many thousand troops a month would be pulled out. So here we had an entire battalion of recruits, newly trained Marines, that they planned on sending to war, and now, by the president's order, couldn't happen. So uh, my buddy and I, a guy from Philadelphia who I befriended in boot camp, we selected Barstow, California for a duty station because of its proximity to Las Vegas. I had some aunts and uncles living here, and... uh, being able to get away on weekends after our work was done uh, made sense. And that's how we ended up in Las Vegas, as opposed to me going back to Brooklyn and him going back to Philly. And then we, of course, got to Vegas just as a couple of employees for people. But I had a burning desire to be in business for myself. I just didn't stay in college long enough to get a degree in anything before enlisting. So I couldn't become a lawyer, a doctor, an architect, or anything with uh, severe training. And out of the Marine Corps, all you're really trained to be is security or a cop. So uh, I became a casino dealer. I learned on the job and for a couple of years did that. And as I stood on a dead roulette wheel one night, waiting for a customer to cause me to have to deal, I was thinking about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was only 21 years old. And I realized that while I made good money as a Las Vegas strip casino dealer, the Tropicana Hotel was a great job. It occurred to me that if the time came that I couldn't go to work every day, my income stream would stop. And car payments, house payments, whatever was in my life would not get paid. And there was no golden parachute for me. So that level of unsustainability, what I saw for my future, was a deal breaker. I needed to find other things. And I love dealing. It was a great job. But I wanted to be able to earn money even if I didn't go to work every day. And being in business for yourself, if you're good at it, would provide that. Well, dealing at night, 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. was my shift. I decided to get a real estate license. I could sell real estate during the day, pick my schedule, pick the days I made appointments, 
and increase my income, develop a new skill, and then see what came from those two jobs. Well, exactly what I envisioned happening is what happened. Through the real estate license and the job at the Tropicana, I had an employee, uh, a fellow employee, who asked me to find him a tavern. His daughter was a bartender. He was a boss at the Trop, wanted to buy a tavern that she could work in, and he'd have an investment. I did find him a tavern. The seller was willing to sell. I thought it was a good location, and he didn't like the location but it got under my skin. I, I wanted that location. I just didn't have the money to buy it. The guy was willing to carry paper. I just needed the down payment. So thinking out of the box, another real estate transaction I was in the middle of was selling a duplex for a fellow roulette dealer, Cuban fella named Jose Martinez. We worked together. We were friends. His duplex sold, and he was ironically netting about $35,000 the exact down payment amount that the seller of that first tavern wanted. He was willing to take 35 down and carry 115 at a reasonable rate of interest for a reasonable number of years. So when I delivered Jose his closing package with his check, I asked him what he was going to do with it. And he said he didn't know. He was going to put it in the bank, he supposed. I asked him if he'd loan it to me. I would double the rate of interest that the bank would have paid him. And he asked why when I described it to him, he signed the check over to me. I ran down and made that tavern deal. And uh, that was my first venture into private business. This was before taverns in Las Vegas had the luxury of interactive gaming or video poker. Most taverns only had a couple of slot machines in the corner. And locals didn't really play slot machines, which is why there were only two of them. But back in the day, this would be the late 70s, things were being invented like Pac-Man, Space Invaders, and these were revenue generators. And many people may be shocked to learn that the console Pac-Man game, when my vending company delivered it, generated over $800 a week in quarters. My first tavern had two pool tables. Those pool tables each earned $1,200 a week in quarters. And that's when a quarter pool table only took one quarter. Now you find them, some of them take four or six quarters to play. So we, Dan Hughes and I, the fellow from the Marines, did a partnership for that first tavern. And uh, I ran it. He kept his other job, which was in screen printing slot machine fronts for Bally Manufacturing. And uh, we parlayed that one tavern inside of seven years into six businesses. Uh, ultimately, we developed four taverns. Two of them, we bought the property and built them from the ground up. Interactive gaming became a reality. Coincidentally, with a fellow that Dan worked with at Bally's named Cy Red. Cy Red was a, was a slot salesman, but he was a bit of an inventor. And... He went to the bosses at Bally's one day and said, hey, I invented this new game. It's interactive gaming, and it's video poker where you have to decide to discard cards. You get drawn new cards. The number, the random number generator deals a fresh deck every hand. And uh, the Bally's guy said, you know, 
Most slot machine floors are 20% machines, 80% table games. Nobody's interested in interactive gaming. Big mistake on their part. Because the, the actuality was Cy Red had great vision. He said, well, if you don't want it, I'd like to take it and run with it. They said with a chuckle, if you don't build slot machines for 10 years, we won't build video poker machines for 10 years. And he opened a little company called Fortune Coin, which later became IGT, International Gaming Technology, a multi-billion dollar company. And not only was video poker a big hit, but interactive gaming of all kinds now fill a, a casino floor in the reversal of what it used to be. The 80-20 split of machines and table games are now 80% machines and 20% table games. And uh, machines make up a vast majority of the casino's gaming revenue. So uh, with that, our taverns became gaming properties more than booze and food sale properties. And the industry evolved quite a bit. With the advent of interactive gaming, more companies came online making slot machines. So Dan and I, having entrepreneurial spirits, decided to open an independent screen print company that could print the glass fronts for slot machines and, in, and gaming devices that were not being built by a large company like Bally or IGT, who had their own cabinet shop, they had their own printing shop. There were dozens of companies around the world making machines, but they wanted to just make the computer trip. They wanted to hire vendors to build all the hardware around them. So Dan and I thought there might be a niche for his specific talent. We got a $100,000 SBA loan in 1983 and opened Suburban Graphics in 1984 with him and I working uh, on a screen print table with two other employees. Over the course of 20 years, we grew that to 120 employees on two shifts, 48,000 square feet of production area and over $12 million a year in sales. The entrepreneurial spirit didn't end there, Michael. We found a niche for things that this small town back then didn't have. And we would open new businesses with something that we thought we could do better than someone else was doing or to bring something that wasn't here yet. One such example was drinking and driving awareness was a lot different in the 70s than what we live today. Uh, people will have two or three drinks and stop because they can't drive without risking their entire life in a, with a DUI. Well, back then, guys would pound down 12 to 15 drinks, try to crawl home in a car, and if a cop pulled you over, he'd call you a cab or he'd give you a ride home. That's changed. Well, as it evolved in the 80s, I thought there was a market in the limousine service. So I researched the limousine services in Las Vegas and found for, for, for the kind of town Las Vegas was, it was severely deficient. Our limos in this town back then were like glorified taxi cabs. So I envisioned a new company that only dealt in stretch limousines, tuxedoed chauffeurs, stocked bars, 
And we opened presidential limousine service in 1984. And it's still around today. I ultimately sold the company, but it operates today with over 100 vehicles. The one thing, and there's so much to dive in there, but you know, I definitely want to make sure we have time for your book, is my observation of Vegas since day one when it was built all those years ago is it is the perfect Petri dish for innovation and opportunity and entrepreneurs to have the freedom to have the clarity yeah, to create things. And, and you gave example after example after example. You launched something, and as it was growing and was successful, you saw additional opportunities that sprung from that just because you were observing. And if anybody takes anything away from this conversation today is having the clarity to be able to look for opportunities is going to be what makes you as successful as you want to be. And especially now during you know the time of this recording, we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a perfect time for that because so many businesses have been launched when economic periods are down or pandemics or anything else. So in, in Vegas, of course, has always been that opportunity um, if, you, if you know where to look and know what to do. So uh, I, I commend you on continually pushing and all those things you did. So many entrepreneurs will you know be successful in one thing and they're like okay that's good i'm happy you you obviously were like no let's let's make things better look for areas where we can improve or bring to market something that isn't here and and it's amazing that you've done that so uh, congratulations to you and 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 you know the millions and millions of people have been impacted by your entrepreneurial spirit that's that's the other thing that entrepreneurs often forget is you create a product or service You've impacted so many lives because you now have a product or service that people consume and like, and it makes their lives better. So congratulations again. So, Thank you. It's interesting you say that because uh, in my book, Tenacity, which, by the way, is available at my website, roncoreyauthor.com. Corey is spelled C-O-U-R-Y. It's also on Amazon. The title is Tenacity. But there's a town adjacent to Las Vegas that Dan and I wanted to develop a casino. We purchased the property. The land was properly zoned. And your entrepreneurial listeners will be intrigued and and possibly not surprised to learn that nothing comes easily. Nothing comes without obstacles. And when you're an entrepreneur, you need to be able to deal with adversity, overcome them, adapt, and try to prevail. Well, imagine going into business when the legislator that manages your business licensing, in my case, I renamed this adjacent city Opportunity Nevada because it was an opportunity for us to grow in non-restricted gaming. In Las Vegas, by this time in uh, the the, uh, 80s, you had to build a hotel to get non-restricted gaming licenses. In the adjacent city, I've named Opportunity Nevada They did not pass a law like that. So we could build a freestanding tavern and put in all the machines, all the live tables, the sports book, anything we wanted. That's why we pursued it. Well, unbeknownst to me, we had a city councilman running the district we were in who was a competitor. And to do away with me as a competitor, and this is the centerpiece 
of the basis of my book in overcoming adversity and demonstrating a tenacious spirit. He and his small town police department framed me with multiple felonies and felt like he would do away with me as a competitor in his private printing business. And he was later going to develop three gaming properties. So he's a competitor of mine on multiple levels. And he buried me with multiple felony charges with his pal, a small town police captain, that I couldn't go forward with any gaming license through the state with these charges hanging over me. And, and you know, it's very hard to fight a city. They fight you with tax-generated dollars. You're paying your lawyers with money you've actually got to earn. And when you're paying lawyers with that money, what about the rest of your regular business expenses and your other businesses? So I tried to write a book that would put the readers in my seat with me as the charges were being read and as we came up with ways to overcome and defeat this attack against me. And I don't want to be a spoiler to my own story. I will just plant the seed that I opted to fight back and not count on a jury seeing the truth. We hired an undercover private investigator who engaged in a one-year-plus undercover operation. And what the book goes into is some very interesting detail on how we resolved that and how I determined some real good payback for this particular councilman. So uh, I just want to plant that seed for your listeners. Oh, yeah. And I highly recommend people pick up the book because it, it's riveting and uh, I won't spoil things either. Uh, but it's uh, it, 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 you know, much like when you read a, f- a fiction book and you get into the story and you're going, okay, now what's next? What's next? It, it, this was not fiction. This happened, and it, it, the the way that you know, you wrote it and you know, you bring the reader through it was uh, it was amazing. So um, great on that. So for for entrepreneurs that are looking to you know take that next step and to and to grow and and do things, you know, what's some advice that you tell new entrepreneurs that are trying to launch a, a product or a service out into, into the wild and, and, and grow their business and, and, you know, not be reliant on, like you, you said, when you were 21, you know, just, if I can't work here, I have no income. So, you know, what are some things of, that you can tell them to, to kind of encourage them and, um, and have that tenacity to be able to be successful in, in the work that they do? Well, you know, the world is filled with all kinds of people and there is nothing wrong with the kind of guy that gets a job with the local utility and works as a gas company employee for 30 years and takes a retirement. You gotta have the fire in the belly to be an entrepreneur because you're gonna have obstacles and you're not gonna prevail in every case. So, so that's necessary. Make sure you have that fire in the belly. After that, uh, one such example, uh, you have to find the need for something you think you can provide. Now, when Dan and I opened Suburban Graphics, we got a large job to do all the slot fronts in the Las Vegas Hilton over. They had a new design, new carpeting, new walls. They wanted all their slot faces to flow with the same color theme. We found out we couldn't buy enough raw glass to fill that order on deadline. So it was a problem, but we assured the Hilton people 
every print competitor in town was going to have the same problem. You need a certain thickness and a certain scratch-free quality to print slot fronts. And nobody was inventorying that kind of glass. So they gave us an extension on the deadline. And Dan, quite, with quite a bit of vision, said to me, we can never let this happen again. That raw glass is a very small component of what we do, but it's our lifeblood. So we opened the glass company. And we gave half the company to a good local glass cutter we knew. And we said, you can reinvest the profits from this. You can not reinvest it. Your only mission assignment is to make sure Suburban Graphics, which was two blocks away from the property we purchased, has the glass it needs to do a print job when we get an order. And we, Dan and I opened Glass Supply Incorporated and actually grew that from that concept where it was just Jay the glass cutter, me and Dan, to over a dozen employees and over 150,000 a month in sales to the retail glass market. We ended up selling glass to all kinds of companies that would replace uh, mirrored wardrobe doors, windows, as well as some of our print competitors. So finding a niche, I call myself an observational entrepreneur. You find a niche for something you think you can do, make sure you have the skill to do it better than someone else was doing. And you do the research to make sure there's a demand for what you're going to do. And then in answer to your question, find the right location. Once you've determined there's a market for it, educate yourself that you can actually do the job and then pull the trigger. And that's not, that last thing isn't always the easiest thing to do, to pull the trigger. You've got to write some checks, take some risks and know what the future holds if it doesn't work out. I mean, there's a lot of times every time Dan and I did a new project, we were all in to use a poker term. If that failed, we were busted everywhere. And, and when you're younger, you don't mind taking those kinds of shots. As I got older, I wasn't quite willing to do that. We later got into other businesses. I got into businesses with other partners. As Dan worked towards retirement and the sale of suburban graphics, I got into the new car business. It was in 2010, after we had sold all our taverns, a new car dealer in Texas was a good friend of mine. Socially, he wanted to move to Vegas and asked me if I'd like to go into the car business with him. I did. And it was at a time that Hyundai was at a major turning point. Their Sonata was a very popular car. So there was an example of a, of a vehicle where you got a lot of car for the money. And uh, there was demand for new cars. There's always demand for new cars. And we bought a dealership that was struggling. After the 08-09 recession, we bought a dealership in 2010. And there are articles that, from the local newspapers I've got on, on my uh, historical wall where people wondered if we were crazy buying a five-acre car dealership as, this, as the country was digging out of a recession. Well, we took that business that was struggling and employing good business tactics, good customer service. And it didn't hurt that I had four very successful taverns in town. I had met tens of thousands of people who liked me as a businessman. They liked how I treated them. So when they needed a car, they would find me. And I, I would be the reason 
seven to 10 cars a week got sold out at a dealership. But aside from that, we had a great location, a great product, and we quadrupled the monthly new car sales of the dealership we purchased. And we ended up parlaying that one dealership into a second Hyundai dealership on another part of town, a Kia dealership in Opportunity, Nevada, and a Chevrolet, Cadillac, and Hyundai dealership in Monterey, California. So having the vision to find a niche for something that you're willing and able to do, coupled with the right location, the skill set to do it, is pretty much the marching orders for anybody who thinks they have fire in their belly to be an entrepreneur. If all those puzzle pieces fit and you've got the financial wherewithal to do it, then you just need to pull the trigger and give it your best shot. If you fail, at least look back knowing you tried everything possible to make it work. And then failure is not that tough to deal with. You genuinely did not leave anything on the table to think later, well, maybe if I'd have done this or that, it would have been different. If you did everything you could, take the failure and move on to another challenge. No, that's that's leadership gold and entrepreneurial spirit is is absolutely amazing. Ron, I've loved our conversation today. Go ahead and share again uh, where people can find you, you know, the information about the book and anything else. Okay. Um, I'd like them to know that when I published my story, it is a true life story. And I learned from a book consultant I put on retainer that 25% of all books sold today are sold in audio book form. So I wanted my audio book to be different than every other one. I hired an actor to voice my book, a guy named Michael Madsen. He's made over 300 movies. He's in Donnie Brasco and Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill. Great voice. So if they go on Amazon and they buy the, the Audible version, Michael Madsen is the voice of tenacity. Or they could go to my website, roncoreyauthor.com, C-O-U-R-Y, and that will have a quick link to Amazon, or they can just go into Amazon and, and look for Tenacity by Ron Corey. And uh, I, I think they will like it in paperback, hardcover, Kindle, or Audible, and they will find it to be inspirational, motivational, and a great true story as well. That's awesome. And I'll have all that information in the show notes. Ron, I've absolutely loved our conversation today. Thank you for one, being you and doing all these things and two, for your time today. Uh, I know my audience will greatly appreciate uh, the time that we spent today. Thank you for taking the time to have me, Michael. It's been great meeting you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.